anybody, is anybody a sugar addict? Okay, sugar addict. Gosh, you guys right in the front, I just gave away all the last bits of, um, I have a, um, I have a very, very um, strong addiction to sugar, and I've been eating really, really clean for a long time, and I actually called Kathy from Charlotte and just begged her and said, babe, when you buy Halloween candy, would you buy the candy that I will not be tempted to eat? And those of you who are sugar addicts, you understand that. It's not many on that list. I gave her a hard job, but she found these two big bags of stuff like, um, what were they, babe? Skittles, hate them. Uh, they were that kind of hard candy type stuff that I don't really like, except one bag had gummy stuff in them, kind of sour gummy, which is like one of my gigs. And, and um, I just, um, Kathy loaded up the car with the candy because we were going to my daughter and son-in-law's house, and she was uh, Kim Kardashian and my son-in-law was Kanye. So that was very fun to be with them last night. But Kathy loaded up, and I was going to come a little bit late because I want to watch the beginning of the World Series. So I went out into the car, and I took out a whole pocketful of the gummy stuff. And I put it in my pocket, and I said, I'm just going to be by myself in the house. She's going up there a little bit early. I'm just going to eat the gummy stuff. And it, what it did is it just created this insatiable desire for more. And so I get up to my, my daughter's house, and my daughter and my son have been doing this whole 30 eating. Has anybody done this where you eat clean for 30 days? And it ended yesterday, and they had a four-hour window where they could go crazy. And so they were off. And so I thought, I love my kids so much, I should join them. And I joined them. And when, for me in eating, I'm either really on or really off. I ate so bad yesterday that I just want to warn you, I may not actually make it through the service. And uh, got some high school students in the front row in case we do some projectile vomiting. But I just am just not, not feeling good at all. But did anybody go so bad yesterday? Did anybody, like, you're, dis you're disgusted with yourself. Okay, those of you that are disgusted with yourself, I get it. I get it. Um, two weeks ago, when I was here, I taught on being spiritually full. And then I stood by the door, which we do every week after the message is over. And over the years, I've probably taught here somewhere more than 30, 30 to 50 times. And I've never had so many people come by the door and say, Doug, you were talking directly to me. And if you were one of those people, you know what I said to you. I said, you're right. I was, and if you'd quit sinning, I could talk to everybody, but I had to just talk right, right to you. And what I heard from people, it actually didn't surprise me. What I heard from people is that they, people are spiritually empty, and I was talking about spiritual fullness, and here's what they said. I want to live topped off. I want to live spiritually full, but I, I don't. And a lot of times I'll come to church and treat this as a spiritual gas station to fill me up on Sunday mornings, but by Tuesday, I'm pretty much empty. And you can't blame it on Jeff's sermons because they're great, so you've got you to blame it on something. And I realize in our culture, we don't, like the, we don't like to stop and fill her up. We don't like that with cars, right? None of you wake up and go, hey... It would be great to fill her up today. I hope I get to stop it. Even, even as nice as they make gas stations, right? 
They've made gas stations very nice, like an entertainment experience now, where they have flat screen TVs. They have the stop and rob store, you know, with the with the, all the you know conveniences and water parks and wine tasting, you know, everything inside to make you want to stay a little bit longer. But when you you know you put in your credit card to pump gas, it alerts Homeland Security, and you got to do Social Security number, your height, weight, you know, BMI, uh, you know, is that your real hair medication? You know, all that stuff. And, and then when you want to use the bathroom, they go old school. Okay? You know, have you noticed this? Even the nice new gas stations. Can I use your bathroom? Yeah, here's a key. And they give you a key attached to a canoe. You know, so you've got you to drag the key. And the bathroom still stinks, all right, which they should give you a key connected to an air freshener. But you know, I, I, here's the point. Nobody likes to fill up. We don't like to fill up in life with our cars. And we don't like to go empty spiritually with our lives. And there are several forms of emptiness. There's relational emptiness. And relational emptiness, this is loneliness. There's physical emptiness. This is fatigue. There's financial emptiness. That's being, being broke. There's emotional emptiness. That is, that's kind of being numb. But what we're talking about is spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness means this, that that I, I am connected with God, I have a relationship with God, but I just, I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Where I just don't feel connected in a way that I, I want to. Now, let me give you my first grade definition of spiritual emptiness versus being spiritually full. Spiritual emptiness, when I'm spiritually empty, is my sin-filled nature is guiding my decisions. Yeah, that's the first grade level. When I'm spiritually empty, my sin-filled nature is guiding my decisions. When I'm spiritually full, the indwelling spirit of God, right? The promise that God makes in the scriptures is that when those of us who have said yes to what Jesus did on the cross, we put our faith in that, that he promises us to fill us with his presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, and where we have his presence, we have his power. So when I'm spiritually full, the indwelling spirit of God is leading the way and influencing my decisions. And I think most of us in here, we complicate what it means to be a Christian. We complicate it. We confuse it. We don't trust that promise of his presence. And last week what I talked about is that when our sinful nature kicks in, it, two things usually happen. One, we're comparing ourselves with other Christians, and then we feel bad about ourselves. Because anytime you compare yourself with somebody else, you wind up losing. Because you compare what you know about yourself to what you don't know about other people. And you lose. Or what we do when we're spiritually empty, we perform. We feel like we've got to do all these God-type things so that God will love us more. Okay, Jeff talked about this last week with all the shoulds, all the things you should be doing. You should do this. You know, we should pray because Jesus prayed. Well, what else did Jesus do? Well, he read the Bible. He read the Old Testament. Not only did he read it, he memorized the Old Testament. He, he uh, cast demons into pigs. He rode donkeys. He witnessed to people. I mean, there's a whole list of things I got to do. I got to pray. I got to read. I got to memorize. I got to fast because Jesus did all these things. And there's one verse out of 31,000 
that says he got up early and withdrew to a quiet place. So now we have to have a quiet time in a quiet place. And there's one verse in the book of Mark that says he did it on a mountain. So now i got to get up early to go do it on a mountain. All of a sudden, boom, we've got these checklists and rituals. And many of us in here, we live our whole Christian life out of obligation of all these things that I should do. Now, if you look at your notes, uh, at the top there, I put in just a, a little memory of what we talked about last week about spiritual fullness. Spiritual fullness is not an invitation to do more. It's an invitation to be intimately connected with Jesus, your friend, to walk through life with an awareness of his presence and his power and his ongoing love for you. See, God wants you and I to be spiritually full. And last week we talked, or two weeks ago, we talked through Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. But I just want to remind you of one verse. In Ephesians 3, 19, it says this. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. If you have a pen, circle that word fullness. And I would ask you if you remember what it I, we talked about it meaning two weeks ago, but I don't want to be depressed, so I'll tell you what it means. It means to be continually kept full. Okay, It's like a never-ceasing fountain. There's this, this promise that you and I can be, actually, we can be spiritually full all the time. We don't actually have to go empty. So here's the question. If spiritual fullness is available, why is it that when I said two weeks ago, how many of you struggle with spiritual emptiness, about 90% of us raised our hand. I mean, spiritual fullness is available. Why is it that we struggle with it? I think there's a lot of reasons why we struggle. But one reason I want to paint a picture for you to grab this, this week. I think one of the reasons we struggle with spiritual fullness is because you come to church and you hear messages. And we give you the message. We try to teach the Bible the best way that we can. You take that message home to your life, and it doesn't fit with your reality. It doesn't fit with where you live as a student. It doesn't fit with where you live as a mom or a dad or somebody in the marketplace. You just can't make it to work. It sounded good on the weekend, but you can't make it play in your life. For example, um, I'm confessing on my binging here. Let me just show you some of my favorite fast foods. Um, I have a picture of McDonald's fries. I love McDonald's fries. They're my favorite of all fries. I can actually lick the salt off them before I eat them because then when my French fry is moist, I can put more salt on it and it'll stick. I mean, I love McDonald's fries. I also love the Carl's Jr. Double Mushroom and Swiss All-Natural Burger. I don't eat this very often. Because with tax, it's $9.04. It's an expensive burger. All right? But, but oh, I, doesn't that look good? It it's, it's, looks so good. And then my, my favorite is Taco Bell, the Canita Power Burrito. And the reason I have the eat this is because of the word power. It's not just a burrito. It's a power burrito. Now, I want to show you what what happens is I, I go to McDonald's. Let's go ahead and show the French fries. I go to the McDonald's and I order French fries. 
And as I order French fries that look like this, I open up the bag only to find those French fries actually look like this. Okay, that's what they look like. Is I had one picture in my mind, but the other one is reality. Then I go to Carl's Jr. I do the same thing. I'm going to get this double Swiss. Oh, my. <laughs> and then I reach into the bag because I get it home, and it, it just it looks like that. That's it. Okay? And then I go to Taco Bell. This is the, the best one. Look at that. Look at that stuff just overflowing out of there like, you guys come by me. It's only $3.79. Look how great it is. And I get it home and this is it. Okay? That's it right there. Talk about a disappointment. See, I'm glad you're laughing at that because the truth is that's what happens every Sunday morning. You come here and somebody fills up your bag with spiritual truth and shows you the right way to walk with Jesus. And you take it. For some of you, you're like, all right. And you, you get it home, and you open it up, and it doesn't match your reality. Because I've sat where you've sat for 35 years, since I was a teenager. And I opened up the bag of getting up an hour early every morning, because that's what good Christians do. I had heard that if you're a good Christian, you wake up early. The good Christians wake up like this. Good morning, God. It's a good day to be alive. They, and then they sing this song as they go to the bathroom. Rise and what? Shine and give God the glory, glory. I mean, that's what, that's what good Christians do. Good Christians wake up an hour early to spend time with Jesus. So I open up that bag. And I'm not a morning person, but I'm, I want to be a good Christian, so I set my alarm an hour early to wake up. And I don't wake up, good morning, God. I wake up, good God, morning. And then I don't even talk in the morning. I ask my wife. I'm like Chewbacca. I don't even form sentences until after nine. All right? But I know that Jesus is waiting for me at a table with tea and crumpets. For us to spend an hour together in the morning to have our quiet time where I'm spiritually fed. And if I miss this, he's going to be mad at me all day long. And I've spent years with shame and guilt and failure. Then I opened up another bag, and that's the bag of reading through the Bible in a year. Because good Christians do that. How many know what I'm talking about on that one? Yeah, we even, we even ask you to do it here at Mariners. And my spiritual mentor, my spiritual mentor's done it, so why can't, I mean, if he can do it, I can do it. So those of us that have played that game before, we know what it looks like. You start with Jan January 1st, it's coming up, it's coming up, and you got to read just three chapters a day, three chapters a day for 365 days, and you'll finish everything, okay? I've read Genesis more than any book in the Bible, all right? There's 66 books in the Bible, and I've got Genesis wired. Because if you skip a couple days, now you got to read 9, 12 chapters to catch up. You get to, like, the book of Leviticus. Who's read Leviticus? 
by the fourth animal sacrifice on the fifth hill with the third ram, you're like, I'm a vegetarian. I, you know, I'm not even, I'm not even sure that I can, I can do this. And more shame and more guilt enters in. See, bag after bag, I'd open with the expectation that this one was going to be different. And for me, they weren't. They just weren't natural. They all became actions of obligation, not of desire. Now, please don't get me wrong. For some of you, if you do the early morning hour thing, and you do that, and it leads to intimacy, and it leads to passion, and it's out of desire and not obligation, by all means, God bless you, continue to have that morning meeting time. I just know that you are in the minority. That really for most of us in here, we've spent our entire Christ-following lives trying to figure out what does it mean to be spiritually full, to stay connected with God in a way that would be natural. As I talked about two weeks ago, leading to a friendship with God. So let me, let me let you in on my aha. I had an aha one day. It was a few years ago, and um, I was reading the Bible, and I discovered something I had never discovered in my whole life. Now, I went to four years of Bible college. I went to three years of graduate school, and I had, I mean, I, I, was, I was trained to be smart, and I never saw this. And all of a sudden, I stumble onto this idea that when I look at Jesus, his interactions with people were so brief, and yet they were so powerful that he would have just these, these brief moments of blessing or challenge or healing, and people would interact with him, and boom, they would be spiritually full or, or challenged. And I could give you dozens of examples, but I put some in your notes there. In Matthew 8, chapter 3, Jesus says, do you want to get healed? That's it. Those are the only words. And the guy says, I want to, boom, be healed. Matthew 8, 15. Jesus simply touches the hand of Peter's mother-in-law, and she's healed. Matthew 9, 2. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. After seven words, the paralyzed man walks. Matthew 9, 22. He's walking in a crowd. He stops the crowd, and he says, who touched me? He makes eye contact with this girl, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. In Mark 6.50, the disciples are caught in the middle of this massive storm on the lake. And they're all afraid, like many of us might be in some area of our life. And he says nine words. It is all right. I am here. Don't be afraid. And everything changes. In Luke 6.19, it says people were just trying to touch him to be healed. In John 5, 6, the guy's been sick for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to get well? And the guy makes all these excuses. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. So brief and yet so filling. So I play this game. What if? What if spiritual fullness is not limited to one early morning hour that I feel obligated to. I mean, what if, okay, what if 
This concept of walking with Jesus is literal. That I'm actually walking with him everywhere that I go because of his promise of his presence. I mean, what if you and I were to personalize this idea that was first brought in at about the year 1600 by Brother Lawrence when he talks about practicing the presence of God? What if? See, two weeks ago, I gave you two stops. Stop comparing, stop performing. And one start. I just said start thinking about Jesus as a friend. This week, one stop, one start. Okay? Here's, here's the stop. Stop thinking so big. Stop thinking so big. Stop thinking so big spiritually. For some of you, 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 think, you think you're a spiritual failure because you, you think that you have to do everything and you have to embrace everything. And, and what if, what if, and stop thinking so big, what if your spiritual nourishment came from nibbling all day? What if you were a spiritual, spiritually, you got your spiritual nourishment from, from nibbling? That, that small is actually a very big deal to God. See, Jesus made a big deal of a, a small blessing, a small honoring, a, a using small. Rec- and, and this isn't new. I stole this. It's right from the scriptures. Take a look at in Matthew 17. Jesus told them, I assure you, even if you had faith as what? Small. Small as a mustard seed, nothing would be impossible. In Luke 16, he says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. In Matthew 10, 42, it says, and if you give even a cup, this is Jesus speaking, and if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Just a cup. I mean, what if we were to walk out of here and you see somebody on the sidewalk, a homeless, a homeless guy? Would you stop and you saw the homeless guy was hungry? Would you go, ah, I don't, I don't have the time today to cook you a five-course meal. So would you walk away? No, you'd come steal one of my food items up here, you know, and, and give it to me. You could, you could do something small. Small is big when it's with Jesus. So you've heard me say this before. Uh, Orange County has got one of the highest divorce rates in the country. 70% divorce rate in Orange County. And we always like, you know, how we, this is big tragedy and how are we going to solve this? Oh. The mo- you know what the most recent marriage survey, it actually came out last week. USA Today ran a re- report on it in, um, from the University of Georgia is doing a study. It was actually in the social science journal called personal relationships. This is what it says. After interviewing thousands of married individuals on relationship satisfaction, covering everything from communication habits to finances, they found that the most consistent, significant predictor of happy marriages was whether one's spouse expressed gratitude. What distinguishes the marriages that last from those that don't last is not how often they argue, but how they treat each other on a daily basis. The study goes to show the power of thank you and suggests practical ways couples can strengthen their marriage. We've got a big problem. You know what the answer is? Small. 
say thank you. It's a little bit of gratitude. A couple years ago, my daughter graduated high school. And at her senior um, sports banquet, she was a volleyball player, and her senior sports banquet, they go around and they, the, you know, the coach will say something uh, about all of the, the seniors. And he saved our daughter for last. And I thought he's saving her for last because she was the captain of the team or she was a three-year varsity person or something like that. But he saved it for last because he got so emotional talking about her. And he didn't talk about her skillful achievements. He said, in many years of coaching, never before, and then he starts weeping, never before have I had coached an athlete who thanked me after every practice. And he made this big deal out of this teenager saying, thank you. What's my point? My point is small is big. Okay, small is big. And there's some of you who live in tremendous spiritual guilt because it's like, I got to go big or go home. You know, you hear the announcements about Syria and, you know, we're, we're sending people to Syria and you're like sitting there. I'm not a good Christian. I don't even know where Syria is on the map, you know, let alone try, you know, try, to, try to go there. But what if, what if you could have life-changing moments with God in small ways? When we sent our um, oldest away to college, it was a traumatic experience, not for her, but for me. And, um, you know, there's five of us in the, in the Fields family who would be around the dinner table every night. I've told you before, we've got two adopted-type girls. They're not type girls. They are girls. But they're kind of extended family. But, you know, for most of life, there was five of us. And when Tori went away to college, it became four. And Tori was like, she's like my comedy hero. She's really funny. She makes me laugh. She's the, just, you know, we just knew we were going to miss her. So we're, we're dropping her off at college. And I'm beginning to, like, start breaking down and start crying. I didn't want her to see that because I didn't want her to feel like, oh, Dad's such a wimp, and, you know, and, and worry about me. So every time I was about to cry, I'd just go to the car and get something else. I, I think you forgot this. You know, I'd bring it in. I'd, I'd, I'd shake it off at the car like my dad told me to, not to cry, to shake it off. And so I'd go back. And, um, but as I'm saying goodbye to her, I give her this hug, and my eyes are kind of glazed over and stuff like this, but I'm pulling it together. And then I get in the car, and we start driving away. And before I could even, we're not even out of the university yet, I start to weep. And now I'm like, <laughs> I mean, stuff's flying out of my nose, my ears. I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> I can't even drive, so I have to pull over. And my, my lovely, God-fearing wife, she... She kind of mocks me without mocking me. I mean, she, she tried to show empathy, but the look on her face was like, really? This is getting, I mean, and so she's now driving. And as we're, we're driving home, I'm just losing it. I am losing it. All of a sudden, I feel this vibration, and it's my phone. And I pull it out, and my daughter had texted me, don't worry, Dad, I love you. So immediately I text right back, do you need me to come back? Are there any boys you need me to kill? You know, that type of thing. And she texts, LOL, laugh out loud, she thinks I'm funny. And then she, then she texts back and says, you're the only man in my life. This is a drop the mic moment right now. I just don't want to drop the mic. But Now, what happened? With these little snippets of text and communication, 
it connected my heart to hers. And there'd be times we'd be sitting at the dinner table and one of the kids, the other kids would say, hey, what's, has anybody talked to Tori lately? And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's got a big test today after the test. They're going to uh, go to the basketball game and then they're, they're going to um, go study at Denny's. And my wife would say, when did you, when did you talk to Tori? I go, well, I didn't, I didn't talk to her. We've, we've been texting. So what am I saying? I'm saying that similar to texting, you can stay connected in small ways throughout the day that can lead to intimacy, life change, spiritual connection. Now, what am I not saying? Because I know there's some of you that you're just critical in nature. You're like, I can't, I'm going to write an email to you. you know, here, let me just listen. What I'm, what I'm not saying, hear this, what I'm not saying is that your whole spiritual life should be bite-sized spiritual nibbles. Do I believe that you ought to have a five-course spiritual meal where you feast on God's word and you go deep and you dig deep and study and think? Absolutely. But there are times when my soul longs for a brief connection and there are other times my soul longs for a deep connection. And both can be rich and satisfying. And some of you struggle with this because your whole life you've been told that more time is better, that the more time you spend is better. Okay. Um, let's, let's think about how Jesus taught. When Jesus, so now Jesus is God in the flesh. When Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Okay, We know this is the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, read Matthew 6. I put the scripture in your notes. Okay, You should read it. But here's what you'll find. It's about 60 words. So here's God saying, here's how I want you to talk to me. And he gives them 60 words. A prayer that could be said in about 15 seconds or a prayer that you could spend the rest of your life studying. Okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That was the King James Version that I learned growing up. Okay, That's a simple, simple, short connection with God. Am I making my point? Stop thinking so big. Are you with me? Okay, so that's the, that's the stop. Let me give you a start, and I want to go real, this is where it gets real practical, and I think this has the power to change some of you spiritually. Start creating memorable connecting triggers, okay? A trigger can, can bring about a spiritual connection that can move you to the heart and the mind of God, and it's easy to create triggers. Triggers are already locked away in our heart. You have, you have thousands of triggers and you don't even know this. So when you're driving a car and you see a red light, it triggers you to stop. You see a yellow light, it triggers you to. Some of you said go faster. And the Christian said slow down. So you have whatever, you know, you have these, these triggers. When I say Donald Trump has weird 
hair. Some of you would say politics. I totally understand. Salt and pepper. Yeah, some again tempted to say Lot's wife. Uh, spaghetti and meatballs. You got it. You guys are on it right here. I, lo I love that, okay? You know, when I say country music, you get sick to your stomach. So, you know, there's a lot of triggers. Now, this idea of memory triggers is not new. Once again, I just stole it from the Bible. The whole Old Testament is God saying, hey, remember, remember this, remember that, remember that event. Remember, why? Because our natural inclination is to forget. So now fast forward to the New Testament. When Jesus taught, he would use word pictures. He would take something like this, an earthly item, food, a fig tree, water, a vine, branches, and he would connect an earthly item to a spiritual reality. Okay, So he'd take an earthly item connected to a spiritual reality. None more popular than communion. When he took bread and wine. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. That's why as Christ followers, when we celebrate communion, we are remembering what Jesus did on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. In the Old Testament, God made a big deal out of remembering, and he gave things like feasts and Passovers and memorials and offerings and covenants and festivals. In Exodus 12, it says this, This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival for the Lord. See, God instituted the feast of the Passover so the Israelites would never forget the miraculous deliverance from Egyptian slavery. The rainbow. Okay, the rainbow is a covenant that God made with who? Noah. To say, I will never flood the earth again. So when you see this, re remember my goodness. Now, not all of God's promises are as pretty as the rainbow. Okay, Noah got the rainbow. Abraham, what did he get? Circumcision. That's exactly right. Men don't even want to say it. Okay, but that was a, a symbol, a sign that you are God's people. Can you even imagine that conversation, men? That doesn't seem fair, God. Noah gets a rainbow, and, you know, I, I, get, I get this one. Okay, the, the idea here is well, you and I are to look for natural parts that are of your life. For example, for me, I'll just, you don't have to steal mine unless you want to. Here's what I'm asking you. Start making a list of things where you go, hey, that makes me think about Jesus in this way. That, makes, that brings me into the presence of God here. When I wake up in the morning and I take a shower, I pause to thank God for showering me with his forgiveness. It's just a trigger I've used for years that causes me to pray for forgiveness you know, every morning. When I come to a stoplight and I see the red and the yellow and the green, I think of the ways about him answering my prayer. Sometimes he answers my prayer, no, red. Sometimes he says, yes, green. 
Sometimes he says, wait, yellow. When it rains, the, for me, the rain is a trigger that God showers, that, that Jesus is the living water, and I never have to thirst again. When I was a teenager, I read this book called Lord Make My Life Count, and this is where I first learned of it. He was talking about rims, and that was a cool thing to me as a teenager, a cool set of rims. And I would see those rims and be triggered that Jesus is the center of my life. And he, because he, he'd drawn this rim out, and it's just been a memorable trigger. A weird stuff. Like when I go to the grocery shopping, and the shopping cart has one of those spastic wheels, you know, the ones that everything else goes straight and one wheel does this. You think I'm spastic, but I go, you know, Jesus, thank you for making me wonderfully complex. I know I'm weird. I realize people think I'm weird. I get that. But I think God looks at me and goes, that's how I made you. I love that. You know, um, I live in Lake Forest, you know, a few miles away, and I, in this area called Portola Hills. And they now took the sign out, but they used to have this sign of deer crossing. So I'd drive down Portola Hills, and I would see this, and I would break into the song from Psalm 142. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Some of you are pantothene for earplugs, because, you know, but God likes, you know, it's just me and, me and God in my car. And then when I go back up the hill, I'd see this sign, <laughs> and I would pray for my father-in-law. So, you know, just all of these, these triggers. Now, if those triggers don't work, get a tattoo, all right? Uh, actually, there is somebody who read my little, I have a little book called Refuel, uh, The Art of Being Spiritually Full, and it's Stop, Be Quiet, Make a Connection, and he got a tattoo uh, of this, and I just, <laughs> I laugh because I can't even get my own my own family to read my books, and but their friends do and get tattoos of my books. But, you know, that comes up in therapy every once in a while. But here's the deal. Creating these triggers is not intended to be difficult. What I'm trying to get you to do is go through life, and what are those triggers that are natural that will usher you into a God moment? Look at the top of your outline. Look at the, what I titled this. Is spiritual fulfillment, it's easier than you think. See, if you're sitting here going, hey, this is simple, I can do this, then I've succeeded in my goal of teaching you God and his ways. I want this to be simple because I want you to connect with God in natural ways. Why? What's my heart behind this? I'm tired of talking to people who want spiritual fulfillment. They want to be close to Jesus. And they have all these reasons that, that they're not. They're spiritually empty, and they're just not making, they're not making the, the connection. They're complicating their faith. And when you complicate your faith, it fills you with guilt and shame and emptiness. Look at this passage in Deuteronomy. We won't even read the whole thing. Just look at the first line. It says, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. Look at the last verse. No, the message is very close at hand. What if? What if walking with Jesus is real? That he's not this distant deity that's out there, but he's, he's right here. So what I'm saying to you, friends, is, you don't have to wake up an hour early to get close to God. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year to be a spiritual giant. 
if you go to Israel, you're not going to be closer to God. Okay? That the Spirit of God is living within. And really what it comes down to is about desire and awareness. It's the desire to connect and the awareness that he's right here. This verse is not in your notes, but we talked about this last time, and we're in this series on Romans, so let's put it up on the screen. This Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, say it with me, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit, read the rest with me, living within you. That's the awareness part. So today when you go home, you may be in a house or an apartment, but the Spirit of God is at home in you. When you go out to a restaurant, Jesus is at home. When you go to a friend's house today to watch the Broncos get beat, okay, he is, he's at home, okay? When... Um, when you go to work tomorrow, you may be at work, but Jesus is what? Yeah, I was hoping you'd catch this by now. Uh, but, so let's try it a little bit more, but, but thank you, Fonny, for, for doing that. Um, when you go to a, um, a high school soccer game tomorrow, Jesus is at home. At home. Let's just do the at home. Uh, so when... Um, you go to the gym to burn off those calories for all that you ate. Jesus is at home. You got it. Okay. See, spiritual fullness is not this elusive thing that is saved for the spiritually elite. Spiritual fullness is really an awareness of the promise of the presence of God in your life. Okay. You don't have to be spiritually empty anymore. You can live spiritually full. All right? You get it? All right. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love for us that um, we can connect with you at any time. I pray for the many, many people in here who are living their lives with tremendous shame and guilt and failure that they think that they're not good enough. They've been, they've been taking home these bags of shoulds and stuff that they feel like they need to do, and it's just not making it. And I pray through just the natural rhythm of our lives that we might learn to become more aware of how you're working in us and around us. And I pray that we'd be different because we were here. Thank you for your love for us today. We celebrate that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you stand up with us?